Network. Hi, this is Stephen Turek from the Freebooters Network. Today we bring you another episode of Ego, the 80s geek out. We hope you enjoy the show. Episode 17 of Ego, the 80s Geek Out podcast. My name is Ian Clark, and I am joined, as always, by the Kraken to my Medusa, Mr. A. Bradford Anderson. Brad, how are you this morning? Good morning, and well played on the reference. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was trying to... Super well. Thank you for asking. Yes. uh, Yeah, I always try and... Sometimes I just do them off the cuff, and sometimes, <clears throat> excuse me, I have to think of them a little bit ahead of time if it's a, a movie with – because this, this movie doesn't have a ton of quotable lines, really, even for being you know kind of one of those 80s iconic fantasy movies. Yeah. Clash of the Titans doesn't have a lot, so I had to think about it, and I was like, well, of course Brad and I are Titans. So Right, of course. <laughs> I mean, honestly, and some of us are more Gorgons than other ones, so whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I guess if we were going based on appearance, I'm probably more of the Kraken and you're more of the Gorgon. <laughs> the long those, hair of yeah. mine and the snake. <laughs> yeah, the flowing locks. Um, <clears throat> yeah. But yeah, we're we're going to discuss uh, the 1981 classic Clash of the Titans today. I thought maybe beforehand, though, we might talk a little bit about Falcon and Winter Soldier. Are you all caught up? I am caught up as of last night. Perfect. My God. I mean, what a gift. Like, I honestly... You know, I try to stay away from a lot of the stuff online to then find out when I start watching. So I honestly thought The Falcon Winter Soldier was just another actual movie. I didn't do any research, and I thought, oh, my God, okay, that's kind of cool. I liked, you know, the partnerships they had in The Avengers and then in the respective Captain America films, only to find out it's it's a series. Mine has been blown so far. I'm, I'm really, really enjoying the plot that they're doing, the characters they're bringing in. I like what – I like – it seems to do – Marvel is bringing in and focusing a lot of on different characters, not the same standard ones you would expect, but they bring in just enough, kind of like what they did with, you know, the Deadpool movies. You know, they brought in, uh, you know, the villain Juggernaut there, which was, I thought, kind of cool. Colossus is one of my all-time favorites, bringing him in uh, to work alongside Deadpool there. So, yeah, I think the Falcon and the Luna Soldier, very cool so far, plot and action. Yeah, I think Marvel's doing a nice job with the tone of, of the shows, too. This is very different from WandaVision, Absolutely which is. was its own thing. And have you seen the trailer for Loki? I just saw that. Yes, that looks that, insane, too. That looks super fun, like a time-hopping, dimension-hopping. Yes. It looks really cool. And the, so. and the, and the supporting cast to uh, Tom Hilsoner just looks, again, fantastic as well. Kind of nefarious but yet well known in in hollywood as being you know good actors on playing good and bad roles as uh, character roles yeah yeah i'm excited for that one um yeah falcon and winter soldier has been great it's been um a little bit more of a uh not quite an espionage type one but a little bit more of that type of angle yeah. to it and uh you know we obviously had a big uh event i won't spoil anything but with with john walker the new Captain America, and if you're familiar with the comics and that character, then you know yeah. this is maybe not that surprising to you. But it was still um, very interesting to see how things played out. And I think I think this is only maybe a six-episode series. I might be wrong about that, however. 
I hope it's more than that because I think um as of last night I think it was I was that was five, four. Was it was four. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And you know, and watching these now, it reminds me as a kid when I was playing with my Mego dolls. I mean, I had the Captain America doll and I had the Falcon doll, and I those two even before I kind of realized they were partners in the comic book world. I had was always playing with them, so it was almost kind of like a natural thing for me. I just kind of knew without really knowing, and and I did, you know, and I enjoy when you know watching these series and these TV shows when they pull in these extra characters, and I like to go back and do some research on the respective uh, characters, and you know, it's you know they they've kind of taken you know obviously Falcon's his abilities and kind of made him more of a techno fighter versus, you know, his ability in the comics where he is kind of like Aquaman. <laughs> he yes. where Aquaman communicates with sea life, you know, uh, Falcon supposedly is supposed to have a innate connection to be able to control and communicate with birds, which I think is a very weak <laughs> <laughs> superpower, you know, when it comes to that sort of thing, but, you know, not judging, but I like, you know, the techno abilities of his flying wings and stuff like that. That was a little bit of an adjustment for me when, you know, he was initially on screen, not with this series, but in the movies, because I remember him as the cloth figure and then the comic book figure of just having these kind of, this kind of like a flight suit on that helped him fly. But, you know, it's yeah. much more practical to have him with these massive technological wings that have missiles and, and drones popping out of him. It's way cooler with the way they've taken him uh, in his stories and the way his character looks on screen. Yeah, that really modernized it in, in a way that makes sense, and I, yeah. I, think it, I think it is really cool. His whole look is, is very cool in the yeah, show and in the movies. Yeah, way cool. Yeah. All right, so we are obviously going to talk about Clash of the Titans, the 1981 fantasy film, 40 years old as of this year, which is one of the reasons we're kind of focusing on those 1981 movies this year. I think we may, when it comes to Halloween, I, I think there's one that we've been itching to do that we may uh, break out of the 1981 mold for, though, and Brad is nodding his head. I think he knows exactly what <laughs> I, know where what we're I going. refer. Yeah, so um, – <laughs> But uh, in the meantime, yeah, I figured we would talk about Clash of the Titans. Now, some of these movies that we talk about on the show are very much a part of our childhood. Some maybe we caught a little bit later. I'm curious for you, Brad, when did you first see Clash of the Titans? This one, I honestly don't think I didn't. I definitely didn't see it in the theater. As far as I know, I, I want to say vaguely I thought I did, but you know, looking back at it, I, it was probably on Satellite Dish, HBO, you know, one of the early days when we first got our Satellite Dish that I actually stumbled across. I actually think I knew of its existence having seen some of the commercials on TV because I ended up having, you know, some of the action figures. And, you know, hopefully you may have had a couple of those, but I definitely had, you know, uh, Perseus, Calibos, I call him Charon the Boatman, and I think I may have had one additional one as well, but I definitely had the characters and was always envious of, you know, looking in, you know, as we always talk about, like, the Sears catalogs or the service merchandise catalogs and seeing the actual Kraken figure, yeah. which was very – it was smaller than the Godzilla one from our childhood, but it was a good enough size that it could be in that realm of, like, the big, giant, you know, kind of Titan-esque um, uh, villainy characters. Yeah, I I didn't have any Clash of the Titans stuff. I do remember seeing that Kraken figure. That maybe there was a commercial or something that that showed it. I don't. I didn't have any friends that had any Clash of the Titans stuff. Despite I I really liked it. I think you're absolutely right about seeing this probably on HBO because right. my memory is watching this the first time at um, my mom's cousin was lived in Waterville 
uh, for a while. And I remember hanging out there a lot. And her husband ended up being a guy that like introduced me to games kind of beyond the regular, you know, Monopoly and stuff like right. that. Like, like yeah. I, he was the first person I played Axis and Allies with. Nice. Um, even later, like Advanced Hero Quest and and a little bit more. We played like the Star Trek um, space combat game. Like, like. Oh so, sure, yep, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and he was also the first adult that I knew that collected toys, which was which was interesting. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, I remember watching Clash of the Titans for the first time on HBO at their house. So that would nice. have been yep. probably not 81, but whatever the delay was exactly. for yep. a movie getting to HBO. So I, right. this is a movie that I've seen pretty much from the beginning. So it, it opens up with we see Perseus as a baby and, um, the, and his mother, and they are being – essentially exiled to sea to die right. um because uh because of the um I, it's almost not clear really what the king's it, it's some sort of embarrassment that maybe because she the you know perseus is the son of zeus and right. maybe it's brought shame to i don't or and maybe it's more i think it's maybe more that they're kind of forsaking zeus and you know, right, as kind a of god. turn their back on yeah. the gods and man being in control of their own destiny and the fact that she is with child, that is not the king's child. And, yeah, I mean, that opening scene was definitely, you know, raw. Yeah, I mean, you get to see mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the soldiers basically, you know, in, you know, period piece, correct uniform, carrying them in. It almost looks like an ark, like from Ark of the Covenant. Yes. It almost looks like they're putting them in an ark. And they seal them up pretty darn tight and then put them through some serious wave action that, are, you know, on into the on coming onto the beach and I'm like, Oh, that's how I hope someone finds them. Yeah. Cause I did, I didn't remember exactly what happens right after that, but I'm like, that's a terrible way to go out locked in a, in a coffin being floated out to sea. <laughs> yeah. It's not very Viking esque. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing is too, that's when the credits are and it's kind of upbeat music over this literally a, a mother and her it's baby. It's really interesting you say that because I know we, we talk quite a bit about, you know, the, the song, soundtrack accompaniments to the movies we, we review and the periods that we that we cover uh, in the eighties. And you know, and that's one point I, I noted throughout the entire film. I mean, the soundtrack is almost way more dynamic than the actual entire film. And and, and the opening sequence there, it's very uplift, upbeat orchestral segments. And it's a little bit, you know, you would think it'd be more ominous, like a dark, dark, you know, dark string section going in there as the, as the mother and child float out to sea. Not the case. It's very, <laughs> yeah. almost like the opening scenes from, you know, uh, later on you know, the Lord of the Rings, you know, Peter Jackson trilogies with the dynamic sweeping, you know, landscape shots as the credits roll and having upbeat lift music. So, yeah, I was I was kind of a little bit taken back by how quickly they jumped into fostering a scene with positive music and it being extremely <laughs> grim. <laughs> yeah, I actually just looked up on Wikipedia because I was curious who did the music and it's Lawrence Rosenthal. Yeah, the name does not um, ring any I bells, would, but he no, had a huge I, career, though. Yeah, he did. You know, fairly sex, success, successful career, and I was kind of surprised that, you know, uh, as as storied as it was with some of the films that he did, you know, he was not well known. But he definitely fit the fit the mold for the film because he, I think, he captured the segments really well throughout. Yeah, for sure. It's it's good music. It's just yeah, that first that first <laughs> bit of it is a bit of an odd juxtaposition with the yeah. the grim scene of the <laughs> mother and baby, you yes. know, out in the crashing ocean waves. Um, <laughs> but um, then uh, we get our first look at Olympus, which I think looks pretty good for 1981. 
yeah, they did a good job of showing the, the gods in their space, basically. Uh, the kind of the misty, smoky, column-esque uh, build on it was really good. Yeah, yeah, it looked really cool. And, of course, we see uh, the big name star of the show is Laurence Olivier uh, playing Zeus, which yeah. that – I mean, again, at the time, I'm, you know, we're pretty young at that point. Not, you know, there's no internet and, and buzz and things like that. But I got to think at the time, them signing Olivier had to be a pretty big deal for them adding him to this movie. Oh, absolutely. I and mean, because, you know, he, he carries weight or had been carrying weight for quite some time in Hollywood. And to get a big name actor in a lead role that kind of comes in and out throughout the entire film, basically, you know, pretty impressive. So I'm sure he. Got a good paycheck for that, but also that was kind of a huge selling point, you know, against the backdrop of a lot of the other actors who some of which were already established, but not to the level of, you know, Sir Lawrence Olivier. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, and you're right. That's a good point you bring up that he's not just it's not just a quick, almost like cameo, like, uh, for example, um, in Superman in the in the Superman movies with Marlon Brando. Yeah. He's at the start, you know, when when Krypton is destroyed and everything, and you do get him again when uh, the Fortress of Solitude is yes. is constructed. You get kind of the those um, scenes there, but but for the most part, Brando took a huge payday for the Superman movies, barely in it. Lawrence Olivier is in this quite a bit. Absolutely is. Yeah. So okay, then we learn that um, Zeus is declaring that Argos, where uh, Perseus was uh, and and his mother Danai were banished, that Argos is to be destroyed, and that Danai and Perseus are to be placed safely on an island. So that's where we find out, you know, with some uh, exposition there with among the gods that Perseus is Zeus's son. Right. And um, we get our first. I had forgotten it had been how long had it been since you had seen it? It had been a couple years for me. Um. I mean, I. Oh, that's I. I was actually thinking about that. I want to say maybe 15 years. Oh, really? Wow. It had been a long time, but it was very present in my mind. You know, for most of I, re, I remember certain scenes beyond all others, obviously. Sure. Um, but it'd been a while, and that's why yeah, I was really kind of thrilled to be able to watch it again because it tied in obviously a lot of other scenes that I had forgotten about, and like to keep the story flow going, the arc was really good. How long for you? Yeah, I, th- I think it had been a couple of years because I think I watched it with my kids. We actually watched the the remake recently too. Sure. Um, but I think it was a couple of years ago we, that that we watched it. Um, nice. And it, before that, I had seen it from time to time because it's one of my favorites. From you know, yeah. it's not one that I watch. There are some that I watch, you know, at least once a year, and some even more, you know, in certain sure, cases. But um, um, yeah, this has always been one that I, that, and I've had it on DVD forever too. So, but I had still forgotten that you. You see the Kraken early on. I thought they they kind of saved that reveal for I later. Did. That's really funny you say that because that scene, you know, when they're when he's underwater and commanding it to come out of its you know watery cage, basically the you know the the cavern there. Um, I had forgotten as well that that released the Kraken early on. We hear that version of it and fly, you know, he swims out of the cage. I didn't realize that as well. And, but it was, I guess kind of good to kind of let you know that the Kraken is going to play some type of major role beyond what's just happening with the, you know, the, the destruction of Argos. Yeah. And they actually show it. I thought maybe they would only show the tail, like, cause there's those cool shots of the tail coming out of the yes. cage and stuff, but they actually show its face and stuff. Right. So I was, I think nowadays modern filmmaking, they would save that for, for a reveal yeah, for later. The effect. Did you and, notice on, uh, at least when you see, um, 
it underwater. The only thing that I did not like about that scene, and I'm not sure if you caught it, did you see in the in the below right hand part of the screen <laughs> the guy? Yeah, it's you could Poseidon totally tell he was, he was superimposed. A little guy in like a little Greek outfit, kind of <laughs> pulling up the gate, and that gate was massive. And and you yeah. know for for the viewers, you know the thing, the, the perspective of the Kraken is a huge, huge beast, and they have this little guy just <laughs> pulling a chain, and I was like. That is awesome and kind of out of place. It would have been better to not have him just show the gate going up and down naturally yeah. without a little a little character superimposed on the screen screen, yeah. you know, pulling the gate up. <laughs> I, I think maybe they did that for a sense of scale, but it's funny because I was actually going to bring that up because it was a, a pretty stark contrast in the quality of the effects between because Poseidon underwater, like when you yes. see close-ups of his face, that looks right. cool. It like, looks cool and legit. I mean, he yeah. looks like his hair is kind of almost flowing. Yeah, flowing. And it looks like he's yeah. underwater. I mean, I thought that was really well done. And yes, then you've, you've over his shoulder, you <laughs> yeah, see the, the little dude. I'm like, that doesn't quite fit. <laughs> yeah, the, the little tiny guy. You're right. It's just right. really composited <laughs> on top of it and just looks, <laughs> looks ridiculous. Um, <laughs> So uh, so the Kraken is released, and um, we see the destruction of um, of Argos, and uh, and I actually wrote this down. I think this was both the underwater stuff, but also the some of the effects in Argos too. The the yeah. effects are just very feast or famine. You've got some stuff that looks fantastic, Legit. and some stuff where it's movie type stuff. There's one point where a um you know a stone a piece of one of the stone pillars comes crashing down on someone. Right. And clearly it's styrofoam because it hits them and bounces off. Yes. <laughs> rather than like completely crushing. Right, right. Them. But in contrast, some of the flood scenes when yeah. the when the big ocean waves are coming in, I thought some of them when the wave actually comes in contact with you know, the angle of the way the camera's pointing, like in the tunnels there were like a handful of soldiers that got hit. So there was definitely some either wave pool where they were, you know, or some sort of manipulation to show the you know, the strength and the power of the water hitting them and then a couple of the other ones you can totally tell where some of the characters are superimposed but they did it really well with the wave coming over them so you don't actually see them standing in the wave as it hits them they yeah. actually go down a little bit so they they nailed parts of the destruction of Argos pretty well and some of the other ones like you said regarding the the column falling and bouncing off the character <laughs> a little bit a little bit um you know uh questionable at best yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, we then see that Danai and Perseus have made it safely to a um, to an island, and this this always catches me off guard. Is the um, in, in that in a PG movie you you get bare boobs and and bare butt, which that doesn't happen anymore. Right. But and it, but it's not done in a you know, no pun intended. It's not done for titillation. It's you know she's breastfeeding Perseus. Right. It's not like a it's not in a sexual way. So it's maybe exactly. It's a little, but it is it it always occurs to me. It's like oh man, PG used to be able to <laughs> like PG had a lot of different rules back then. Right. And well, it's funny you say that too because I. Read up a little bit more on the film, and they basically gave some parameters for the for the PG rating on it. I think there was something to the effect of, you know, uh, kids under fourteen can view it, but are not. It's not really appropriate. It, it's some yeah. kind of kind of very, you know, murky descriptions of how PG was operating in the <laughs> in the early eighties. We can right. do this, but let's make recommendations against that. So yeah. <laughs> 
pre-invention of the PG-13 rating. Exactly. So, yeah, so uh, we then get a, a montage of Perseus growing up and um, turning into uh, Harry Hamlin, who Harry Hamlin to me totally channeling Jim Morrison in this as far oh, as absolutely. his look. <laughs> the hair, the skinny body. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, he could have had they done the film a film back in the day of the tours back then, he would have nailed it better than Val Kilmer did, you know, years later. <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure. Um, so we get that, and we also find out about um, it was kind of the friction within the the gods on Olympus, as um, Thetis talks about how you know Zeus is favoring Perseus, and and her son Calabos has been you know, um, uh, kind of shunned by Perseus and because he's, he's, Calabos has done some questionable things. He's hunted the, the Pegasus, um, the winged horses to almost extinction, right. et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, Zeus, uh, decides to alter and, and transform and disfigure Calabos. And yeah. how cool is that effect where you see, cause they've got yeah. this cool Coliseum with these little clay figures that they've yeah. used throughout. And he sets Calabos down and you just see the shadow and in the shadow, he transforms into Calabos, uh, you know, yes. with the horns and the tail. Yeah, it's, like, it's like an animated transformation backdrop shadow against, you know, yeah. and you know, his, I love how he's putting, he puts his hands on his head and then from his fingers come his horns yes, and then yeah. he just, starts to sprout and move, you know, kind of in an animatronic fashion. But yeah, that was a really well done transformation and kind of almost reminiscent of um, a little bit of some of the stuff that you see in, in the Ralph Bakshi uh, Lord of the Rings sure, animation, yeah. just kind of the, you know, caricature and how the, the how it sets against the backdrop and of a transformation of a, of a figure. So yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. And that was a thing where they, they did choose to, hide and wait for the reveal later to show you what Calabas looks like and because they did it in shadow. So right. yeah, I, I thought that was super cool. Um, then we see um, for revenge that Thetis, uh, Calabas's mother takes the Perseus, the little clay figure and sets him in Phoenicia and Joppa um, in, in the Colosseum uh, where we get the intro to Burgess Meredith, who's very cool. And you know, he's This is a great role for him because he's, he also brings a little bit of, of stature to the movie. He looks great. He's got the cool beard. You know, he's um. This yeah. was right right in the middle of the the early Rocky movies. Right. Um. And he's there for exposition, but also as kind of that mentorship, that Obi Wan type of role. And I Definitely. think he's great in it. He does it. He he keeps it like subtle and understated, and doesn't overplay it, even though it, you easily could in right. in a movie like this. I I think Burgess Meredith is great. Um. And he gets a lot of the exposition in about the curse on Joppa, and he yep. knows he knows kind of Perseus's back story um so that part's that part's really cool you get the um the introduction of the the magical items as well as zeus decrees that perseus is to be given a helmet a sword and a shield um so we kind of get the intro to those i one of the my least favorite parts in the movie though is the weird part where Mm -hmm. zeus on the face on the back of the shield is like calling to him and it sounds very kind of yeah there were a few of those throughout the film where they basically the the gods appeared either in the weaponry or you know um i think later on um calabas's mother appears in a tipped over statue and it's just oh yeah yeah her face it's a weird way to kind of present how the gods appear on earth to their human subjects basically yeah. but yeah that, that was kind of a little bit a little cheesy we'll we'll, yeah. we'll 
I think we can agree on that. <laughs> yeah, but it's cool to see that you know we get the cool, um, almost like D and D style magical yes. weapons. We got yeah. a helmet of invisibility. You've got you know the cool shield and sword. So um, then uh, Perseus heads into Joppa and uh, sees one of uh, the suitors uh, for the hand of Andromeda being burned to death, uh, which I I completely forgot. I didn't realize yeah, that was same. in there. So essentially, the, this whole curse means that Andromeda has to give a uh, a riddle to any suitor, and if they if they are unable to solve the riddle, then they're burned to death in the public square. Right. So you get this cool captain of the guard guy that he gives a ton of exposition, but he also comes back later because he he helps Perseus on his on yeah. his journey and stuff. So he's kind of a cool character. So you get him. Um, then we see. Perseus actually used the helmet of invisibility to sneak into Andromeda's room, get his first look at her, and then that also shows us how her curse actually works as right. uh, this massive uh, vulture shows up. And this, I think, I think that's our first Ray Harryhausen animatronic creature in the movie is the vulture. Yes, absolutely is, and that I is awesome because you're getting you getting a very well defined looking oversized vulture. Uh, plus the 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 sound of the, that it makes too is ominous because yeah. you can hear it in the distance and then suddenly it shows up and that's it, basically her her transport into the into the what was it the bog into or the swamps or, yeah swamps yeah yeah so we see this giant vulture brings a giant cage that it sets on Andromeda's out on the uh, the balcony at her room and we see how it works that she almost in like an astral form or her soul leaves her body. Right. And travels in this cage uh, out to see Calabos. Uh, and then we also get the introduction to Pegasus as um, Perseus uh, attempts to tame Pegasus. And this this was the first scene that I noticed where this movie does this a lot. And, and this was common back you know, in, in the earlier days of filmmaking all the way up into the 80s. And it's, it's called Day for Night. It's when they shoot and it's clearly daytime. But they lower the like the the tone of the of the sky and things like that to pretend okay. that it's nighttime. <laughs> but it's clearly daytime. There's shadows everywhere. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that is a good point. I I did catch it, but it, now that you mentioned it, you definitely a more yeah uh, a uh, tool used very actively throughout the entire film. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's one of those things that I always notice it, so it always bothers me. A lot of people probably don't even <laughs> notice it, but but we get Pegasus uh, and Perseus, you know, kind of tames him, makes friends with him, and he is able to ride Pegasus and follow him, follow Andromeda as she's carried right. into the swamps, and we get to see our first good look at Calabos, and dude, his makeup is so fucking good. It's incredible. Like, he looks. I'm- awesome yeah i mean it's uh, and, uh, and i remember when having the a uh, little the action figure looked identical to that so i mean with, with the horns the tail just you know he was the embodiment of you know what in dungeon dragons which i really like satyrs you know satyrs yeah, are kind of like those sure. mystical little faunas and they have like the hoof legs and everything they nailed it with him i mean he ominous looking and i actually had to look up to see who played it because for the, some reason beneath you know the veneer of all his uh, makeup and and prosthetics. I thought it was James Mason. He kind of looks like the actor James Mason. Sure. From, yeah. yeah. But you know, lo and behold, it, it turns out it's not James Mason. Uh, I think his name is Neil McCauley or to Neil, that effect. Neil, Neil McCarthy. Yeah. Neil McCarthy. Okay. And yeah. He 
he died unfortunately just a few years after he was only 52 when he when he yeah. died um of motor neurone disease i'm not i'm not even sure what that is but yeah very and it's cool to see his picture on wikipedia because you're like oh yeah i can kind of see it you can see him the eyes definitely sure. him that's that's how i knew when you're looking at it when i saw uh, a picture of him i was like yep that's definitely him not james mason but neil <laughs> yeah but that that practical makeup and just his his skin texture and his hair which is all kind of like fine and um yeah like almost like a little brillo pad type thing in his right. horns and and, uh, and to and to kind of uh, show context i think his calibos was way better than the one they did in the remakes. Yeah, uh, way yeah, better. The latter ones. Just he looked more ominous and something that you would find, you know, you know, hidden in a swamp and uh, amongst the unsavory creatures that roam the night. I mean, he definitely embodied that way more than uh, the 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 remake films, uh, Calibus. Yeah, that was a, and I like the remake. I think it's yeah, good. Same. It's a, I love them both. Yeah. Yeah, it's a modern, you know, action type movie, and it honors a lot of the original film. But yeah, their Calabas is more, a little more. He's almost a little more like Two Face, the Batman villain. Like half, more like half of him is disfigured. And, yes. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I, I think Calabas is his whole thing, his hands with the fur and everything, and yep. his nails. I think he looks phenomenal. So, um, very cool to see that intro. Um. And then we see, uh, oh, they actually fight. Calabos and, and Perseus fight, and we get to see the Calabos uses a whip. The, right. the magical helmet is lost um, in this fight, and you kind of get a sense that Calabos is, you know, going to be a pretty formidable op- opponent. So right. when they when they meet again, uh, Calabos prays to his mother to destroy Joppa, um, and Perseus answers the the riddle, which it turns out was going to be pretty hard for him if, if it's the same riddle all the time i don't know they don't really make that clear but anyway his particular riddle um pertains to calabas's ring which unless you've seen it nobody's gonna get so right. um but he's so he's he's uh deemed worthy calabas and prays to his mother to destroy joppa and we get the um the start of the wedding and then the, as you mentioned before the head of uh, there's the big statue of thetis who is calabas's right. mother and it cracks off and then kind of comes to life right and curses uh, the uh, curses Joppa and Andromeda, saying that she has to be sacrificed in 30 days to the Kraken. Um, right. So that kind of sets the sets the real plot. It's funny we're more than an hour in at that point, and it, that's right. kind of where it's the plot tips off. <laughs> this is what, and I, I also um, two points to this. I thought it was unique to you know because she really w- lays out how the plan is going to happen for Joppa if they do don't comply with everything. So clearly, you know, they she wants to wipe it out off the face of the earth, there's no question about that. I also noticed that that wedding scene is very reminiscent of um the final scene in Star Wars. I don't know if you caught that. Oh what yeah, the whole like the the, 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 the setup. Yeah. yeah, the whole setup the uh, at, uh, at the end of the movie and that just hit me like, "Oh wow, I don't know if they you know, took any nods from that, but at the same point, I thought it was cool because it was real well lit. There was, you know, audiences in attendance on both sides of the main aisle. They were on kind of a step type thing, so I, I, that hit me when I saw that. Yeah, it's a good catch. I didn't notice it, but now that thinking about it, I, I think you're absolutely right. It is that very similar yeah. visual yep. to to the end of A New Hope. Yeah, for sure. Um all right, so yeah, so now we finally get really the meat of the plot set up. Um, then Calabas captures Pegasus. Uh, Calabas's lackeys, did you did you take note of them? They almost look like cavemen or something. They're okay, very and I, I'm going to make a point to this. Okay, so and another another movie reference from a year earlier. I I, I felt that Calabas's 
herd of people his you know the, you know they look more like people that you would find on in the movie Flash Gordon uh, <laughs> yeah. on uh, on Mongo I think you know the kind of like the whole people that are in the the swamps and so forth so he I felt yeah they 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 could have been better they just look like swampy wildlings basically <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah feral slight cavemen not you know kind of primitive you know uh, and they don't they they don't get a ton of screen time but you you get to pan their faces on occasion and you see that there is quite a number of them but yeah they seem to be in animal pelts dirty yeah, very <laughs> run dirty. down cavemen <laughs> you know you know troglodyte type uh individuals <laughs> yeah for sure um so with the helmet being lost zeus bids athena send her owl uh, she declines and instead has a, a clockwork owl made, which I, I know a lot of people have an issue with with Bubo, the, the clockwork owl. And I get it. He was clearly made from a merchandising standpoint, maybe trying to ca- cash in on the R2-D2 C-3PO thing. Yes. But he's all he also looks kind of cool, too. I oh, mean, he totally does. Yeah, he, he all the. He's kind of like a mechanical clock with all the moving parts and the you know, the occasional chirps you get. And very, you know, obviously because he's like a little mini robot, basically. Very yeah. cool. No, that's a really good point about you know cashing in to a degree, adding a character, uh, a supporting character role, non-human that could be marketed to you know kids and or people who eventually want to you know attempt to purchase toys and what have you. So. Yeah, and a little bit of comic relief with him too as well. Sure. It's funny in the remake they actually make reference to it by <laughs> they're in the they're armoring up to uh to leave to to go see the Stygian witches in the remake and and uh Perseus actually grabs Bubo and and he's like what is this and Mads Mikkelsen's character the captain of the guard is like forget yeah. it and he just kind of tosses him away. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of a fun nod. Um but uh, but it's actually Bubo that leads them to the Stygian uh, witches. Who the design on the new ones in the in the remake is way cooler. They're way Absolutely more is. ominous. Yep. Um, way more evil. Yep, totally. Yeah, but these ones are cool, and the glass eye thing I think is super cool because they're all essentially yes. blinded. They're all blind, and they use this this magical orb to to see, right. which I thought was a really cool. And I don't know a ton about Greek mythology and stuff, so it may be. Some, I know the Stygian witches exist in Greek mythology. Yes. I don't know if this, you know, orb, seeing orb, is something that's part of it, or, or if it was added for the movie. But it's pretty cool. And I didn't realize, you know, that they were cannibals. I honestly, for some yeah. reason, <clears throat> missed that initially, seeing having seen this a long time ago. And I only caught it again when Perseus and his crew are at the cave. And you see an arm come out of the of the of the cauldron, and one yeah. of them, Stygian wishes, knows it's there, doesn't see it, but can sense it coming out of the water, and pushes it down. I thought that was awesome. A little bit of comic relief to add into, you know, these, you know, clearly insane witches that are, have cannibalistic tendencies and live in a very dark and dingy cave. Yeah, and uh, I think there's also a little bit of a hint at it too when Perseus first shows up and they see him i think they comment on his yes, like his body his yeah. stature oh he's healthy and young <laughs> yeah, yeah young yeah. and that's was another lead in which i i definitely paid attention for because they were very and then uh, obviously i'm thinking of you know the whole hansel and gretel thing and the witch sure. and so there was a bit of yeah obviously clear mythology but they're also you can see how that type of mythology has spread into children's stories as well and, and i thought that was neat 
Yeah. So the uh, the witches give them after a little bit of back and forth with Perseus, they let him know that the Kraken could be defeated by Medusa and that they uh, the eye. And this is kind of I don't know if I ever caught this before, but the the eye itself, because Perseus ends up with it in his hand and he uses that as as sort of a, a ransom to get them to talk. Um, because and it's Bubo that steals it <laughs> from <Yeah>. from one <laughs> of the witches, but him taking the eye, they say, gives his red cloak proof against Medusa's blood, which means it, you can wrap Medusa's head in that cloak. And I'm not sure I ever caught that before that 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 the it was the orb that actually did that. I did not catch that as well, right? Yeah, so that was kind of cool. So you, so you get that whole thing. Now we've set up the next part of it where. <laughs> You know, he has to um, uh, seek out Medusa, and that brings us to one of my favorite scenes is, and you mentioned before, Karen, and and I, I'm, I'm not sure the real pronunciation, Sharon, Karen. Sharon or Karen. I've, I've pronounced yeah. it both ways Me at too. this point in life. We get a, we can get away with that. We've, we've been around long <laughs> enough. We can call it whoever the hell we want. <laughs> yeah. I think that in the movie, I think they call him Caron, but Charon, um, yeah. to, to take who takes the dead across the river Styx, which is, right. again, fully out of Greek mythology. Totally is. Yeah, um, it's very limited. The the figure himself in the film, you can tell that it's an animatronic thing. And, and it kind of can be because he's got the big cloak and everything. Right. And you see his bony hand, you know, bony as he's hand. asking yep. for the coin and yep. his his skeletal face. Yeah, and they I allude still... to the skeletal face. You don't see it right off, but you see as he turns his head a little bit, you can see there's no face in there. It's just a skeletal face, which is awesome. So another really good reveal on not just fully showing who the creature is, but just enough to give you, wow, my God, that's crazy. Yeah, and and I think, I think they do a good job with that in it being – one of those cases of less is more. They yes. don't overshow him, but they give you mm-hmm. enough to be like, oh, this is literally a skeleton dude that's um, right. that's taking them across. And that scene, it's – I don't even think there's a ton of music. If there is, it's very subtle, but it's just kind of that steady sound of him rowing yes. as they cross, and it's very yep. effective. It's it, very ominous. Absolutely is, and, and, and because there's virtually no interaction. I'm trying to remember – do you remember in the more modern version, was there more of interaction – because I think in this one, there's minimal at best. They're just going through a fog across the River Styx to um, Medusa's uh, lair. But I'm not I, – I didn't really – there was no dialogue between the two. But it was just him, like you said, rowing. Yeah, the new one – I used to watch the new one maybe a month ago. I don't remember there being a ton of interaction there either. I think they maybe played up the River Styx a little more in the remake. I think they okay. may have even showed some of the dead like people in it or whatever. In the, in, yes, yeah, but um, yeah, not not much interaction, which is cool. You won't expect him to really speak or say anything right. anyway, even if he was capable. Um, right. You know, he's just doing his job for all eternity, essentially. Right, for all eternity, poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, another part that I had forgotten, when they actually get to the island where Medusa lives, and it's like this old, uh, almost looks like an old, you know, rundown um, coliseum or, or oh, some sort of structure with yeah. the columns and, yeah, temple. Yeah. Um, you get a fight with with sort of like a, a Cerebrus type, like a, a two-headed yes. dog. I had forgotten about that. I had totally forgotten about that, and I thought that was awesome because, you know, that again ties into what we know from uh, Dungeons & Dragons mythology, Mon- Monster Manual. I was like, oh, I had completely forgotten about that, and that was a pretty good fight. I enjoyed that, you know, the just the guardian to the gates of hell, basically, which sure. was kind of neat. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's, um again, it's that great Ray Harryhausen uh, stop motion effects work with the the two headed dog. Right. And a quick aside here, somebody on YouTube 
took some of the Harryhausen stuff. I think it's from one of the Jason and the Argonauts movies. It's the mm. famous sure. fight with um, – there's like a Colossus on the beach, and then there's yes. the skeleton fight. Someone uh, pumped up the frame rate like – I think like eight times than the 24 frames per second that it was filmed at and made huh. it smoother, and it looks oh. really cool. It's it's oh, like nice. a two-minute video or something. Somebody cool. did this. It's totally worth looking for because oh, – um, I'll, I'll definitely check that out. Yeah, it looks way cooler because it's it's more smooth. Yeah. But um, yeah, and the fight, and we were talking about how this, you know, being a PG movie, the the fight with the two headed dog is kind of brutal too because one of them gets some. Um, there's a continuity error where one of them gets its eye slashed, and then the next frame it's like fine, but and then later yes. it's not. But um, it's kind of brutal, and and it, but it's also kind of a cool fight because one of the one of the guards that's with Perseus on the adventure stabs like one of the heads, and that head literally dies. It just right. flops it just like on the bottom. Totally, yep. Yeah, and they're you know they're like stabbing and puncturing that it's it's fairly brutal. So I was a little surprised. Yeah, about no, and that that's probably why when it, <laughs> they gave that it's not recommended for young kids, but <laughs> you know with with an adult in uh, by their side that should be okay. <laughs> yeah. So um so they get past this and uh, I feel like one thing that that the remake did better was to leave a whole bunch of quote unquote cannon fodder guards for Medusa to, you know, turn to stone or kill. They, right. When Perseus goes in, there's only like two or three guys that he goes well, in that, with. That's that's a really excellent point. And I would have thought on an adventure of this magnitude, you know, even with Jason the Argonauts, I think he may have had more people in his in his crew to support him. He had such a small and I don't remember, you know, when I was watching this, trying to determine exactly how many guys were actually in it. Because <clears throat> at one point it seems like there's a lot, and then there's a little because quite a few of them get off various ways fairly quickly, and then suddenly there's more of them. I'm like, well, yeah, we're, it's it's it weird. Unclear. The captain, the captain oh. of the guard doesn't go into Medusa's temple. He shows up later. He's it's weird. Right. It's like it's like they he, only he, took some of them in. It's it's right. very strange. Right, and and I, I and. I, I would have thought for an adventure of this magnitude, knowing up what they were going up against or having some idea of the of the the dangers and perils of going into a very dark and, and scary place, that you would have a small army. You know, and I think maybe maybe perhaps it was production costs, maybe they needed to scale down the amount of people. You know, obviously CGI in, in its modern form did not exist back then, so they can't create a small army of soldiers to protect them as they're going into Medusa's temple. But I just was unclear of just how many guys you know, were with Perseus because you know we, we soon learn how quickly they all get wiped out over you know in the next you know t- ten to fifteen minutes in the film which you know spans quite a bit of time you know he's ends up being a solo guy at the end of all this so yeah exactly so that was a little bit of a weird um, sort of like a movie like kind of wave your hands at it type of thing because it, right. it's very strange to me from a logical right. perspective why they would leave these people, especially the captain guard guy who's proven himself right. to be a capable warrior. Right. But um, I will say I love everything about the Medusa scene. It's everything. So much better. I am and, and I thought of this as I'm watching it. I, I like this so much better than the, uh, the updated version. I do just too. Because of the animatronics, the sound, um, in the in, you know to make a comparison for maybe people who haven't seen both of them, but the original which we're discussing, that's how I would anticipate a half snake, half human gorgon to be moving, not fast yes. like it was. In, yes. Just swirl around columns and go up and with great speed, ominous as fuck. You know the yeah. eyes, oh, yeah. the, just the evil, the snakes, 
tentacle, um, you know, dendrils coming out of her head, you know, an excellent marksman with an archery. Um, yeah. It's just, and, and it, it, like you said, I think in, in this case, the less is more really came out because she moves very subtly between the columns and she knows where her targets are and she knows she has the advantage of her ability to use the bow and arrow, but also to turn men to stone, you know, upon viewing her, you know, eye to eye. So I think it was well, way more well done, the fight scenes and just the overall presence of her on screen, um, moving back and forth and hunting her prey in her lair. Yeah. And, and in defense of the remake, I think, I think they were kind of saddled with the whole, this is modern and CGI and we need to make this more dynamic to differentiate yes. from the original. Sure. And I get it. And she looks cool and she's fast yes. and everything in the, in the, in the remake. But I think the Harryhausen stop motion and kind of the juddery, like, I think that helps this scene because right. she just, she just seems creepier with creepier and her rattlesnake tail. Yeah. is fuck too. I mean, you're like, that's not something you want to hear in a very <laughs> dimly lit layer. And when you're trying, when you know, some of your the soldiers you've arrived with are now dead or turned to stone. I mean, she was picking them off left and right, and that's scary enough. I mean, I don't want to say that their their planning going into her lair um, was was uh, was ill thought out, but they clearly did not stand a chance against her. Yeah, and the you you touched on it there briefly too. The the lighting, the I think the lighting in this is great and helps with the effect too. You've got torches here and there to give yeah. some light, but it's mostly shadows and yes. and you see that they encounter some of the other people that have been turned to stone and um and you know how how yeah. horrifying that looks right. and yeah I just the that entire scene makes this movie for me. I enjoy a lot of the other parts, yep. but that totally. that scene is so good. And, yep, no, that I mean that's. The, almost almost like the midway point of the film, and it really adds a you know a really kind of dark dynamic to it because you know obviously the fight with Cerberus uh, going into the temple, but now with her, it's just I mean I just she's such a you know her scaly skin and just she typifies exactly what I think Medusa looked like and I and carry that over throughout my entire childhood of, you know, within the D&D world, like, wow, this is exactly how I would envision her to appear. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, – and, and even little things like the, the design of her bow and arrows, the arrows are very – the feathers on the end are very, like, ragged. And yes. it, it doesn't – you know, it looks like, you know, she's she's made these herself. and right. Yeah, she's just I, I just love the entire design of her and that entire scene I think is I think it's I think it's done really, really well. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh so we we do see Perseus being the sole survivor in there and using the reflective inner part of his shield, which right. which Zeus, you know, kind of foretold to him earlier that it would it would save his life. So he uses the reflection to reflection, see her and yep. And uh, cut her head off with his with his sword. And again, this is another one of the gruesome things that was in there when she when she dies and all that goop comes out of her yes. neck. It's like that's that's gross. And her right and 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 her body just you know almost in like in true snake form when you remove its head, it's it's all its organs and muscle mus- musculature continues to rise. So yes. her body and the tail was still going after after her being beheaded. So that was yep. wild. Yeah, so that was that was kind of a crazy scene, but he he then wraps her in the red cloak, which now we right. know <laughs> that that is um, 
protection against her blood. Uh, and then he's back outside and they've made camp. And then again, suddenly there's the captain of the guard and several of the other guards are back. There's three or four of them at this point. Right. It's very strange. Right. Like the, his, his party seems to decrease and increase at random parts. And <laughs> it's like, okay, I thought he lost over half the guys inside Medusa's temple, but yet now he has about, he's back to half squad again. So, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's a, that was weird to me. And um, I think the, the remake does a better job with this because it moves these scenes around. with the, the So what happens now in, in the 81 version is we see Calabas. He's replaced his hand, which I forgot to mention Perseus yeah. had chopped off to uh, and then take the in ring the fight, itself. Yeah. Um, so Calabas has replaced that with a trident. He yes. and Medusa's head in the in the cloak hanging up like in a bag on a tree. He actually pokes into it and um, – her blood spills out, and it creates these giant scorpions. Giant scorpions. Which are awesome, but in the remake, yeah. they put that – the giant scorpion scene, They it's not Medusa's blood. I can't remember whose it is that, that does it in the in the remake, but in the right. remake, they put that scene earlier so you can get a big fight scene with a yes, whole bunch of people. Yes, a lead-in too. Yep. Yeah, which is cool. I, li- I like that. That makes sense. But this is still a very cool scene. Like again, these Harryhausen scorpions – look cool they look it looks really like cool. you know initially the small scorpions that you see coming out of the bag or they actually look real so i'm not i'm yeah. i'm I wonder if they actually did have a few small scorpions and then they use the animatronics to kind of show them grow in size as they move away from the bloody bag uh that calabos has poked so yeah yeah so that's a cool scene you get you know another action scene and it's funny too because the like the first hour of this movie, there's not a ton going on. It's really all set up, and then you get bang, bang, bang. You get these, right. you know, you you get all these action scenes, which is kind of interesting. Right. But um, but yeah, the, I like the fight scene with the scorpions. It's cool. You lose a couple more guards. One yeah. time, it's like literally stung through the chest. Right. The chest just, goes down hard. I mean, that you you as soon as you see him lose his balance, and, and the scorpion takes advantage of that and stings around the chest. Yeah, that poor guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. But you get um, – yeah, there's a cool scene like where – during the fight where they, they cut like one of the claws off and yeah. all that stuff looks really cool. Yeah, they did a fantastic job of conveying how it, a human would fight or persevere against a scorpion of that size. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we also get the um, uh, – another fight with Calabas and he's killed. Uh, so that kind of ties up his, his storyline. But Right. It, but everybody's killed, really, except right. for Perseus, even the Perseus captain of the, the guard. Perseus is the last man standing, yep. Yeah. And um, so then uh, Bubo sets Pegasus free, <clears> and we see that it's been – apparently the 30 days have passed because right. Andromeda is being led to the water's edge to be sacrificed to the, cra- uh, to the Kraken. Um, and then, like we talked about how we did see it earlier that we saw the Kraken before – but we get more of the like the full reveal. You see that it has four arms as the yes. arms come up over the, the cliff. And yep. so you kind of get a cool, um, you know, kind of fuller look like you already knew, OK, this thing's kind of badass. And then now right. you're like, oh, this thing's even crazier than we thought. Right. Than we thought. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you get the, um, you know, Pegasus and, and Perseus fly in. He's uh, has the um, there's always that little bit of, oh, no. You know, it's not quite going to work. Where and and it's yes. so funny too. The Kraken knocks Perseus yeah. <laughs> off and knocks him off. He goes into the water. Medusa's head in the in the cloak Everyone goes into the water. Into Pegasus the water. Yeah. goes into the water. Yeah. <laughs> and it's one of those things where I thought I thought, man, wouldn't it be funny if um uh 
if they just ended the movie like that. Like like the Kraken grabs Andromeda and eats her. And right, right, <laughs> like right. The he, ultimate he did, ending scene. Yeah, he yeah. did all this all this work, got that close, and then failed. <laughs> right, then fails. That would yeah. You know, that doesn't happen that often in Hollywood unless they do like a, a two a two part uh, series. Yeah. <laughs> you failed. You you did not save the the maiden in distress and your previous your journey point. has come to an end. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, obviously Perseus climbs out. Um I think it's Bubo again saving the day, picking up the bag in the water and uh, dropping it to to Perseus who removes right. Medusa's head and and turns the crack into stone. stone. And you get there's a very cool effect too where it, when it turns to stone it just begins to crack under its own weight and and yep. fall into the water. Um and um something I didn't touch on, I think they did a nice job with Perseus and Andromeda's relationship because Obviously, they they don't know each other, but right. she they do a good job of saying she feels that connection because when he came into her room and she was away, like her soul or astral form right. or whatever was away, that she dreamed of him. So she felt a connection to him. Right. It's not just like, oh, this is my savior. I'm falling in love like right. a fairy tale, you know, nonsensical type thing. I thought they did a good job. Yeah, no, of, that that's I agree completely. I mean, that, that's a nice way to kind of build in the eventual love story without making it too either too over the top, like, okay, this is too much, or like you said, not enough where it's like a forced relationship, which it was the case of back in that period of time. A lot sure. of people were given away as brides and so forth. But yeah, the, her fact that she had a natural connection to him through her astral self or having recognized him as being a positive uh, protagonist in her life to kind of rescue um, was more better done than a, a flat-out romance film because there wasn't right. a ton of that which was good it was just right. enough subtlety throughout the whole film you know hero rescues but it, but it's not your typical hero yeah and and it's done well in just a few scenes where they have together like before he leaves to go visit the stygian witches they have a little right. bit of a scene together and you can see they and i think and again not a ton of screen time together but i think they have decent chemistry too which helps. yeah so, absolutely yeah, so then you get the happy ending with the you know the wedding and and that's how it closes out and uh, and the movie Joppa ends. Joppa is saved. Yes, yes, Joppa <laughs> is saved and the kraken is no more. So, um, yeah, I mean overall, I think obviously there's a lot of effects and and things like that that today don't hold up, but I I think overall I think this is still a, a fun movie to Absolutely to watch. Fun movie. Yeah. And it's funny, I mean, and we, we, we kind of touched on it a little bit where they do in some of the action sequences go back and forth, especially with the, the you know, the Calabos and Perseus fight scenes. They go back and forth between – it almost looks like Perseus is fighting the animatronic version. Yes. And then next, you know, the, the, I, I think they probably the, – the balance, they could have done it better where him fighting an actual Calabos in – his human, his actual creature form, the character who played him, not the animatronic version that they put on screen, would have probably been, I think, better in some of the sequences for the yeah. fight because they they would do a, like the quick cut takes between animatronic fight scene and then back to you see the face of the of the of the villain or whatnot struggling. So I think they they probably could have done a little bit more in in that regard to you know featuring an actual fight on. Uh, uh, man versus monster fight scene versus mixing in but i thought it was it was good just the same it's it's kitschy for that time frame but it actually fits perfectly for you know the film and kind of you know lends to the 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 transition of the plot and the action as it moves forward so i think yeah overall you know i i only recognize that now having known how far 
Hollywood and cinema in general has developed and evolved uh, technologically speaking. But for that period of time, they I think that that, that suited it perfectly. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I like it, kind of warts and all. Um, yeah. But uh, I was curious because obviously we've talked a lot about Ray Harryhausen, who was just an, an amazing uh, innovator of movie effects. And I thought this might have been his last movie, and I, I'm checking his Wikipedia. I think it was. It looks like it wow. was his last okay. movie. Uh, he, he died in 2007 maybe. I want to – let me let me see. Um, but um, – no, oh, 2013. Sorry. His okay. Wife's when he died. Wow. Uh, but yeah, it didn't really do anything after, um, I, he had like a, an effects house that it looks like did, did some things, but, um, so here are the things that Harryhausen did in Clash of the Titans, the Vulture, obviously, yep. um, Pegasus, uh, yep. Calabos, Bubo, he did Bubo, which is okay. cool, but, yeah. um, Dioscalos, I think that's the two-headed dog, I think that's okay. the two-headed dog, because that's the only thing I see that, that, and obviously he did that, and right. that's the only thing it could be, because the other three things are Medusa, the Scorpions, and the Kraken, so, right. Um, yeah, so, uh, just a, just a great, obviously a, a great career in those Sinbad movies with oh. his stop motion stuff is, is all. Yes. Right. The Sinbad and the Cyclops fight scene. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, um, great. Um, that's a great final film really for, for Harryhausen. If you think about it, that's because not, not just like, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it could have been like he had his final film was like one little thing that was on screen for five minutes, but instead he's right. got like, there's like eight or nine things eight that or nine characters on. that were played prevalent roles throughout the entire film yeah yeah so uh awesome. yeah yeah rest in peace ray harryhausen um <laughs> yeah i don't know i just i i still this is one that i still really enjoy from time to time and you hadn't seen it in a while so i mean what, no no like for you to revisit it. it's good to revisit because you know like like we do when we do our movie reviews i do you know, I am paying way more close attention to the details of the film versus things that, you know, where I might be sitting and doing something else and not necessarily watching on screen what's happening. You catch nuances and little things and, and plot plot holes that maybe may, don't make sense that you always just assumed made sense. But then, well, that doesn't make sense. So being looking back retrospectively at these films that we review, it's good because you 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 it brings a more fuller sense to the entire experience of you know, as a kid, you're just sitting there in wonderment and complete wonder watching these things unfold on screen. And now looking back, because we review these films, we're more discerning. We have more of a historical lineage of things we like, things we don't like, things that we can compare to in modern times and be able to see where some of the holes exist in the movie, but also be able to appreciate them equally at the same time. Yeah. For sure, yeah, I I enjoyed uh, revisiting it again. As I said, it had only been a couple years for me, but I think it was also helpful that I had seen the remake fairly recently too. So yes. To compare and contrast, and and again, I I like the remake. Um, you know, same, same Worth same Worthington as Perseus. Yeah. He's he's I wouldn't say he's he lacks charisma and stuff, but he doesn't he doesn't bring a ton to it. But he's not bad. Right. Um, he's um, more of the muscle, you know, because he was in yeah. one of the Terminator films too. He's done a couple of he's those. He's in Avatar. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So he, he, they probably could have gone with somebody different, but I think you know they wanted a kind of a hulking looking character, and he's pretty like a solid bull in human yeah, form. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think I think the movie the remake is helped by the supporting cast because I mentioned Mads Mikkelsen is yes. the captain of the guard. He has a pretty big part in it. Huge um, role, yeah. Yeah, they give um, 
they give Perseus a love interest in another demigod yeah. on Earth. Um, I can't remember her name in the in the movie, but she's in there. You get um, you know, you get those two mercenary yeah. brothers. Liam Neeson's are, in it, yeah. Yep, Liam Neeson as, yep. as Zeus is great. Yep. Um, Ray Fiennes is yes. um, Hades. Hades, Hades yeah. Great. So yeah, yeah, so the so the remake. I'm actually going to go watch those. I think this weekend because now I'm inspired. I I I own those on DVD. Sold them off a couple of years ago, but I actually have the soundtracks to both Clash of the Titans, oh, nice. the re uh, the remake one, and then the Wrath of the Titans. They're yep. fantastic, and it's a unique thing that um and maybe you already know this that Amazon does. Sometimes you know uh, studios don't fully release them to the general marketplace, but Amazon has the rights to press them up. So oh, these cool. and I have a handful of other soundtracks um, that uh, that fall into that category that they were not you couldn't find them in the store but because they're kind of like professional CDRs but they have the actual label on it they've oh. got the digital artwork so those two were were purchased through Amazon respectively when the films came out because I just thought the soundtracks were absolutely dynamic they are good, not realizing yeah. they were not officially released to the marketplace I mean that may have changed since then but maybe they. It's a kind of a unique kind of made-to-order deal, and I've got yeah, those almost like print-on-demand. Yeah, kind of and yeah. and and great soundtracks, obviously, as we know for both of those films, and you know, and I yeah. I do actually revisit those from time to time because the orchestral scores are really well well put together, which match the you know the tempo of the film. So yeah, for sure, awesome. So all right, anything else we want to say about uh, 1981's Clash of the Titans? Fantastic choice. I'm glad we. I mean, I know we had a couple that we were we were juggling, and I'm I'm sure we'll we'll eventually discuss at some point revisiting other classic films from this from this particular year. But yeah, no, this was a great choice, and I really enjoyed sitting here watching it all over again. I actually, watched it twice nice. uh, in about a week, but we'll we'll leave the first viewing uh, <laughs> off air because I was more uh, in good spirit and good cheer and good form to see it uh, last night. So. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, uh, yeah, we'll figure something out. We're definitely going to do a few more movies uh, in 2021, but um, we'll uh, maybe maybe switch gears and I don't know. We, we haven't really talked about what we'll do next month, right. but we'll we'll come up with something fun from the That's 80s. That's the excitement of of this of this uh, podcast. We sometimes don't know what we're gonna what we don't know until it's until <laughs> decided. So it's. That's that, and that also makes the researching part of this um, even more fun because you, I learn so much more than you know. Because with the the advent of the internet enables us to dig deep into some facts and people and storylines uh, about how and why things came about in in films and music or whatnot. So, yeah, that, this keeps my mind going uh, in good direction. So that's why I love doing this with you, man. Awesome. Yeah, same, same. I appreciate it. And I thank you as always, Brad. And I hope you have a super day. Is it nice out there? We, this is like the best day of the spring. It's going to be in the 70s here in New Hampshire. I know we've it's always nice there. But. We've had a super good run this week. Um, you know, Although we do uh, in May, we hit the May gray, June gloom. So we're in that period, you know, it, it's where we're getting some good sunlight out here in San Diego right now, which is nice. It's definitely sunblock weather. You know, I've, I've had to apply. Maybe you can see it on screen. I've had to. My nose gets hit pretty bad, so I have to really <laughs> yeah. apply a lot of sunscreen on my nose to protect, uh, protect it against uh, Mother Nature's wrath. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Awesome. Well, you enjoy the day, and we will come back again next month and, and talk about something cool and fun from the 80s as always. So Perfect. thank you, listeners, for being here. Thank you, Brad, as always, for being here. Until then, this is Ego, the 80s Geek Out podcast, and we just want to remind you, don't get Medusa blood anywhere. That's how you get giant scorpions. 
You've been listening to Ego, the 80s Geek Out podcast with Ian Clark and Brad Anderson. We are a part of the Freebooters Network. Check out the freebootersnetwork.com to listen to all the awesome podcasts on the network. We also invite you to check out our sponsor, Geek Nation Tours, at geeknationtours.com and interact with our Facebook page, ask questions, offer comments, and critiques. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.